We're in Mark's Gospel, the 11th chapter this morning. Page 847, if you're using the Blue Bible in front of you. We're continuing the march toward the cross. Jesus continues to uh, live out the gospel. We want to learn from what we read this morning, beginning in the first verse, Mark chapter 11. Mark records now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said, that, why are you do, what are you doing untying this colt? And they said them to what Jesus said, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now drop down to verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came... They went out of the city. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. We're going to do what we've done the last couple of weeks. We're going to take these two stories. We're going to put them together to see what we can learn. There's a common teaching in both of these that we want to pay attention to so that we can learn more about what exactly is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the first story, it's often referred to as the triumphal entry as Jesus progresses into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Jesus tells two of his disciples to go to a nearby town to commit what I often refer to as donkey jacking, taking somebody else's ride. Now, Jesus assures his disciples that it's okay to take it. If anyone asks, just tell them the Lord needs it, and that we're going to bring it back. Not to worry. First, 
there's some questions that come out of this. We want to ask, how did Jesus know that there was going to be a donkey parked by the road with the key still in the ignition? Clearly, Mark wants us to see that Jesus is more than just an average man. He has knowledge that's not available to you and me. Because when the disciples get to town, they find a donkey with the engine running just like Jesus said they would. But the second question that comes out of this, how does Jesus have the right to just take somebody's donkey? Well, he was just borrowing it, right? That's not the point. It's not okay to just take something that doesn't belong to you. At least it wasn't when Dwight Caldwell took my car from the driveway in my house. He took my ride. He was arrested, convicted, and sent to prison. Jesus says, go get me a ride. How's that okay? Clearly, Mark wants us to see that Jesus is not just an average man. He is the king. And when the king wants to take something for his own use, that's okay. Because he's the king. He can do that. Jesus isn't just an average man. So Jesus hops on the confiscated donkey and he begins to ride it. I'm sure he had the top rolled down. Got the stereo going. Got the bass thumping. Can you see it? Jesus starts riding into town just slow. The people start swaying. Boop, boop. Right? Jesus is coming into town. And they start singing his praises. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, these events take on more significance when we remember that in Zechariah in the Old Testament, this was prophesied. The prophet said that the Messiah would come riding into town on a donkey. And this is a fulfillment of what God had said hundreds of years actually before this. The people were crying out, Hosanna, which means save us. They were looking for a Savior, and in their mind, Jesus was going to be it. They were openly singing the praises of the Messiah. The days of Jesus telling the people, shh, don't tell anybody. Those are gone. Now is the time to openly acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. There's a second story 
that we read. This second story is often referred to as Jesus cleaning the temple. At the time of Passover, every family was expected to offer a lamb as a sacrifice. Unless they were too poor to afford it, every family had to bring a lamb. This was huge. The temple did big business during this time of year, every year. In 66 AD, just about 30 years after Jesus, we have a record that one year, one year at Passover, they sacrificed over a quarter of a million lambs. One year. Big business. Jesus comes to the temple and he sees animals being sold. People traveling from long distances wouldn't bring a lamb with them. You know, who wants to be tugging a lamb along with you as you go? We'll just buy one when we get there. People coming from foreign countries would be bringing foreign currency and they were told, you can't give us that foreign money. You've got to convert it to local currency. And so there was money changing going on. There's purchasing animals going on. And of course, you know how it goes. The rich people were making big bucks. They were making a killing on these transactions. Because you know how it goes. The price of the animals would be raised above what they normally charged because they knew you were in a bind. Got to get an animal. The exchange rates on the money were very favorable to the money changers. You wouldn't get as much as you normally get when you converted your cash. Jesus gets angry and he drives these merchants out of the temple. They had made the place of worship into a place of commerce. Jesus was standing up for two things. First, this is not the place to be doing this. Understand, converting money, there's nothing wrong with that. Selling animals, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a convenience. Who wants to bring a lamb for hundreds of miles when you can buy one when you get to Jerusalem? Nothing wrong with that. Jesus is not opposed to business. But this is not the place for it. So Jesus is standing up. Why don't we make sure that God's house is a house of prayer like it's supposed to be rather than a marketplace? That's what he's standing up for. Second, Jesus is standing up for poor people. Not only had they flipped the building around and made it of use for commerce, they were taking advantage of poor people. Jesus even refers to this. He said, you've made this into a den of robbers. They were taking advantage of people. Because what are you going to do? When you get to Jerusalem and you're, I, I don't know if you're like me. If I walk into a place and I want to buy something and the price is too high, I walk out. I'm not paying that. But if you go to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice to God and they say, hey, this is the price that you... If you turn around and walk out, you don't offer your sacrifice to God. You are in violation of the law. They've got you over a barrel. 
Jesus was upset about that. Because you don't take advantage of people who are in a pinch. The system was rigged to help the rich people get richer and take advantage of the poor people. Jesus wasn't happy about that. In doing what he did, Jesus rattled some cages. The religious leaders obviously knew this was wrong. There was all this selling going on. It would not have happened without the approval of the religious leaders. Why do you think the religious leaders would have been okay with this? Because they came in and said, hey, can we rent some temple space? The religious leaders were participating in this, and they were getting a cut of the profits. And so when Jesus came in and drove them out and said, this ought not to be going on, he was hitting the religious leaders, the power people, in their pocketbook. Listen, one way to get people's attention is to affect them financially. Right? You can say whatever you want, but man, you, you start affecting my bottom line, people start listening. Jesus rattled some cages. In verse 27, we didn't read that far, but in verse 27, they actually come to Jesus and said, who gave you the authority to do this? In other words, who told you that this was okay? How serious they were at this problem, how upset they were with Jesus is seen in the fact that we're told that they decided they had to destroy Jesus. We got to get rid of this guy. Now is not just the time for open acknowledgement of who Jesus is. It's also a time for open confrontation. Jesus takes on the religious bigwigs head on. Now that we've looked at these two stories, let's ask ourselves, what can we learn? What can we learn from Jesus riding into town on a donkey, being celebrated as the Messiah? What can we learn from Jesus as he cleans out the temple? Because we are followers of Jesus, right? So we want to learn from him and what he did. Number one, clearly, Mark is telling us Jesus is the Messiah. This is not his opinion. He's giving us facts. When somebody comes riding into town in fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus is, is acting the part. Everything about him in his teaching and his, his miracles demonstrates he is the Messiah. Jesus accepts the praise of the people. This is important. We have people today who will acknowledge that Jesus is a good teacher. But they won't go as far as to say that he's the Messiah, that he's the Savior. And they will even tell us, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. That's what they say. The problem is... When the people start crying out to Jesus, Hosanna, and they start referring to him as the son of David, they are calling him the Messiah. And for Jesus to accept them calling him that is Jesus' way of saying, you guys are right. 
When the religious leaders actually came in one of the other gospels, we're told they came up to Jesus and said, will you tell these people to stop saying this stuff? Jesus said, hey, if they don't do it, the rocks will. The rocks will cry out of who I am. Jesus did not stop them because it was true. And when somebody tells you that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, point to this passage and say, well, then why did Jesus allow them to call him the Messiah if he wasn't? As followers of Jesus, we are to lift up the name of Jesus and to worship him for who he is. We are not living in the time where Jesus told his followers, keep it quiet. That was right for that time for the reasons that Jesus gave. But we're not living then. We are living in the time where Jesus said, go tell everybody who he is. And now is the time for us to openly acknowledge who Jesus is. We are not to be quiet about him anymore. As we look at this story, though, in the larger context, what we're going to see next week, we need to remember that the praise of people is fleeting. Yet Jesus was, was hearing it this day. Oh, he's the Messiah. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were singing Jesus' praises this day. We are five days away from Jesus on Good Friday hearing the crowds chant, chant, crucify him, crucify him. People, we got to remember that the praise of people doesn't last. People can love you one day and hate you the next. And we start riding the wave of, of people's praise and we think this is wonderful. And then when they turn on us, we're devastated. Listen. Don't ever take people's praise for more than something that's fleeting. Because people that you think love you and support you, right? Just wait. That can change very quickly. And it did in Jesus' life. We're not to ride the praise of people. We are to follow Christ and be faithful to him regardless of what people say. Now, many people will tell you, well, the, the people on Sunday who were praising Jesus and the crowd that was calling for him to be crucified on Good Friday, those were two different crowds. It doesn't matter. Our popularity rises and falls, and we are not to play the popularity game. Three. So we read these stories. We see that it's also important for us to not miss what God is doing around us. Notice, Jesus comes into town with great fanfare. Big commotion. Now look at verse 11. He entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. And when he looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus comes to town, there's this big stir, and then he gets to the temple, and there's nothing. The people were too busy buying and selling that they didn't even notice Jesus come in. Can you see the point? 
one of, if not the most significant event in human history is about to take place, and they're missing it because they're so busy buying and selling. There's this big procession with Jesus as he's coming into town, and then he gets to the temple, and there's nothing. It fizzles out. Could this be Mark's way of reminding us of the parable of the sower? Remember the different seeds going into the different soils and the one seed gets on the, on the ground with, with just a little bit of dirt and it springs up, but then it comes to nothing. It just dies out. Some receive the word with joy. Some get all excited, but then nothing. Having this initial enthusiasm that isn't followed up with a passionate commitment to follow Christ means nothing. This is another example of how the gospel doesn't work the way we think it should. You would think that with this procession coming into town, all these people singing Jesus' praises, that when he gets to God's house, when he gets to the temple, man, you'd think that's when the party would really get going. This is God's house. This is God's son. Now would be a time to celebrate, wouldn't it? When Jesus gets there, nothing. They're so focused on the commerce that they miss the son of God who comes right into their midst. Don't let that happen in your life. We get so busy doing life, buying and selling and just the day-to-day stuff that we've got to do that God gets lost in the shuffle. And we miss what's most important in life, just like they did here. Jesus is actually not just ignored by the religious leaders. They actually start opposing him. They were so upset because it was costing them money. We got to get rid of this guy. Don't miss what's most important in life because you're focused on something else. Fourth. The fourth lesson we learned from this story has to do with anger. You see, when Jesus drove these merchants out of the temple, he was angry. Which shows us that it's not always a sin to be angry. If it's a sin to be angry, then Jesus sinned and we're in trouble. He's not sinless anymore. But we know Jesus is sinless, so if he's angry, it must not be a sin for him to be angry here. However, we're not Jesus. And when we get angry, we tend to sin, don't we? What this story shows us, though, is that Jesus is able to keep his composure. Look at verse 11 again. You might have missed this the first time we read it or the second time. Verse 11, he entered Jerusalem after coming in with this procession and he went to the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. That tells us that Jesus came to the temple the night before he cleaned it out and saw what was going on. It says he looked around and then he went home. We're not that bright 
but I think we can probably figure out what Jesus was thinking about that night, can't we? He was sitting there that night and with the images of all that commerce going on. No praying going on, just all this buying and selling. Jesus sat there that night and thought about that. And he went back the next morning and said, I'm cleaning the house. He didn't just fly off the handle that night. How many of you are like me? We see something wrong and boom, we just go off. Jesus was right in what he did, but he wasn't impulsive in how he did it. How many of us are guilty of just blowing up when we see something and we make it worse rather than better? We look at something and we say, that's not right. And then we do something that's not right to try to make that better. Jesus doesn't. He is composed. He is not out of control. He's angry, but he's not in a wild rage as he's doing this. He's doing it to make a difference. And this is important. Jesus doesn't just sit there and say, well, those dirty dogs, what are they doing? They shouldn't be buying and selling in the temple like that. No, he sees a problem, he sees something that's wrong, and he does something about it. How many of us are guilty of seeing something that's wrong and we just sit there and whine and complain and gripe, and right? We won't do anything about it. We'll sit there and point our finger and say, they ought not to be doing that. But we won't lift a finger to do anything about it. You see, that's generally what's wrong with anger. It's it's not productive. It just leads us to be angry. We might say things that we shouldn't, but we don't actually do anything to fix the problem. I have a rule that I try to follow. If I hear somebody complaining about something, but they don't do anything to fix it, I finally say, shut up. I don't want to hear it. Because if you don't want to do something to fix the problem, shut up. You're not doing anything. You're just whining and complaining. And we see that so often today. People who will just whine and complain and be angry about stuff. And the next week they're angry about the very same thing. Well, what would you do about it? Nothing. Shut up. Jesus shows us that anger can be a good thing if we will use that energy and direct it toward fixing a problem. Fixing a problem in the right way. And this is the problem, people. Most of the time when we get angry, we get angry for selfish reasons. Somebody made me mad because they did something against me. This is not personal for Jesus. He's mad for his father. This is my father's house, and this is not what's supposed to be going on in my father's house. And how many of us are guilty at getting angry about stuff that's our stuff, but it'll happen to somebody else, and we don't give a rip. We don't even get a rise out of it when it's somebody else that happens to them. But when it's us, oh, that's just terrible. No, we need to use that anger and direct it towards fixing a problem. The good news of Jesus is to make a difference in our world through us as we get involved in trying to make things better and trying to fix problems. Number five, and this is the important one that I want you to see today. They're all good, but this is the, the, where we get our title this morning. What we see in this story from Jesus is we are to push it. Think about what happens here. 
This area around Jerusalem at the time of the Passover every year was a powder keg. Expectations were high. It was ripe for revolution. People were tired of Rome. They were ready for somebody to come in and get them their independence. Because of this, Rome would always increase the number of soldiers that would be around the city protecting it. And what would that do? That would just cause people's anger to rise even more. People wanted something to happen. Expectations were high. Jesus knew that riding into town on a donkey in fulfillment of messianic hopes was going to get people's attention. This is not something that Jesus happened to find himself riding into town and the crowd start running around and he's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Jesus said, go get me a ride. Jesus was pushing it. He knew this was going to get people's attention. Second, Jesus comes into town. He sees the temple being misused and he starts driving out the people who were buying and selling. This is not right, people. What? Jesus didn't know that that was going to get people upset? Yeah, he did. Jesus is pushing it at this point. Jesus was hitting them where it counted and he knew they were going to get upset. These two events, when they're put together, the riding into town, the cleaning of the temple, you put them together. Jesus is pushing it to the point where there's a confrontation. And he knows exactly where this thing's going. Jesus does not back down. He pushes it. Because he's standing up for what's right. People, it's starting to get real now. Jesus has been preaching and doing miracles up in the northern part, out in Galilee. Now he's right in the capital, the heart of this. Jesus was willing to go up against the most powerful people in his day. And so should we. You see, we're not called to play it safe. We're not called to just try to get along. We are called to swim against the stream of culture. Let me give you an example. Right now, where we are in our political season, in this election. How many times have you heard people say, well, all politicians lie? And what they mean is, well, they all do it, let's just accept it. We have gotten to the point where we expect them to lie to us. People, that's not okay. It's not right. And usually, watch, when people call a politician for lying, how many times are they calling a politician of the other party? You know what I'm saying? It's only wrong when it's the other guy doing it. When was the last time you heard somebody call a politician who was of their own party for lying? People, we need to stand up for truth and call it both ways. 
If a politician that you support is lying, call him on it. No wonder they lie to us. They know no one's going to hold them accountable. It's become expected, acceptable to us. When I call out a politician on Facebook, on social media, and I say, that guy shouldn't have lied, somebody will always pop up and say, oh, so you support the other guy. No, I just happen to not support liars. I'm not for that guy or against that guy. I'm against lying. And people need to see that we can stand up against somebody. I happen to agree with your policies. I just think you're a big fat liar. And I wish that you would support your policies with some other thing than than lies. We are called to stand up for what's right. And we're so afraid that somebody's going to be upset with us that we're afraid to speak the truth. Does this remind you of what I said about don't ride the waves of popularity? Those come and go. Don't be afraid when somebody gets mad at you for standing up for truth. That's why we're in the mess we're in, because good people are afraid to stand up and say, that's wrong. Don't do it. People, let's bring it out of the realm of politics and back into the realm of the truth of Jesus Christ. There are only two destinations in life. Heaven and hell. That's it. There's no third alternative. And how many of us are afraid to speak the truth when it comes to, if you don't accept Jesus Christ, if you're not committed to following Him, the Bible is clear. That's not popular today. And there are many people who will push back hard against that one idea. Right? Sorry. We're not called to be popular. We're not called to soften the truth. We're called to preach the truth. We are called to push it. And that means that some of our own family, some of our own friends might turn on us. And if you're more concerned about what people think of you and your relationships with other people, Jesus is clear, you're not fit to be his disciple. We've got to draw a line and stand on the side with Jesus. I don't care if nobody else is my friend. I don't care if I lose every relationship in my life. I choose to stand with Christ and speak the truth. There is no middle ground here, people. By not standing with Christ, we're standing with the world. And yeah, we'll come into church, we'll have our little huddle right here, and we're like, go team, Jesus is the only way. And then we go out in the world and we're just mum. Don't want to, don't want to rock into the boat, don't ruffle any feathers. We're called today to push it. We are called to stand up against our culture and say, the majority of you are going to hell because you've rejected Christ. We're not going to heaven because we're better. We're going to heaven because of God's grace and we have accepted that. God's grace is found in His opening our eyes. God's grace is demonstrated as we share that truth with other people. 
And it is not loving for us to sit back and not speak the truth as we watch other people go off to hell. But just as Jesus was willing to stand up for the poor, we need to be willing to stand up for the poor as well. How many of us will sit back and complain when we see poor people being railroaded by the system? You know what I'm talking about? If you can get the right lawyer, you can get away with murder, literally. If you've got the money to pay for it, you can get away with murder. But if you're a poor person, the system can just steamroll right over you. And we see this happen, and we will sit back, and we'll just, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be. But we won't do one blessed thing to stop it. And God is going to hold us accountable for how we stood by and let poor people be taken advantage of rather than standing up for them. It's shameful. Every time we just try to go along to get along, we are missing our opportunity to, to go against culture and to stand for Christ. Number six, and this goes with number five, be prepared to pay the price. When you stand against culture, when you stand for Jesus Christ, you will pay a price. You will. And Jesus doesn't just go up against the power people of his day. He doesn't just go up and say, you ought not to be doing this in my father's house. He knew full well they were going to kill him for it. And he didn't stop. Now I'm telling you right now, there's very little chance that we're going to be killed if we stand up for Jesus. We may lose some friends. We may have some family members who won't talk to us. They're not going to kill us. Jesus was willing to die to stand up for truth. We ought to be willing to pay the price to stand up for truth today too. When we stand firm, it's Newtonian physics. Every action receives an equal and opposite reaction. You can count on it. It's not physics, but it's reality. When you push, you're going to get pushed back. When you stand for Christ, there are going to be people who are going to try to knock you down. To get you off your position. How do we think we're going to make an impact in our world when we just go along with the world? How do you think we're going to lead them to change for Christ when we're too timid to stand up for Christ? It's time for us to stand firmly for the truth. Not just when it comes to politics, but when it comes to religion, our faith. And you'll hear people say, oh, no, no, in polite company... You don't talk about religion and politics. Well, guess what? Then I'm not for polite company. Because we're commanded to speak the truth about Jesus. And it is time for us to stand up and say, I'm opposed to politicians lying because I'm a Christian. Listen. Oftentimes we will say, I'm not for that guy, I'm not for that person. Say why? I'm a Christian and I can't support somebody who's for that. Let them know that your faith impacts what you believe, but also what you do. I'm disgusted with ministers. I got into it with a friend this morning on Facebook. He's a minister. 
And I happen to say that I wasn't in favor of Donald Trump calling for violence. And a minister, a Baptist, a Southern Baptist minister pushed back and said, well, he's just saying that it's okay to fight back and defend yourself. Gee, I thought Jesus was the one that told us to turn the other cheek. Maybe I missed that one. And when ministers won't stand up for the gospel and what Jesus taught, how in the world are we going to make a difference in our culture today? Stand up for what's right. Oh, oh, so you must be one of those crazy Republicans. You must be one of those lunatic Democrats. No, I'm a Christian. This isn't about politics. This is about the truth. And if a politician's going to lie to you, you look at them and say, I don't vote for liars. And if that's the best you got is to lie to me, you must not have a very good policy. It's that simple. And if they're going to encourage us to go against what we believe, I got a problem supporting that. Either party. Call it down the middle. It's wrong when both sides do it. Not just one or the other. We're living in a time when people who disagree try to shout each other down. We are guilty of being shouted down. The other side raises their voice and we just back down. We need to firmly stand for the truth of Jesus Christ and what he says. And if that loses us every friend, so be it. Because we found a friend in Jesus who's willing to die for us. I don't think it's asking too much for us to stand with him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful this morning for the truth of your word. And for what we see about Jesus and his courage to stand firm for what's right. God, forgive us for how wishy-washy we are being firmly convinced in our hearts about what's right but refusing to even say a squeak to stand up for truth being so timid we won't even speak to our family and friends about what's true god give us courage not to preach politics not to preach republicans or democrats but to stand up for Jesus Christ and say, I believe in the word of God. I believe in the truth of what we see there. Help us to to live out our Christian faith in such a way that others know we don't just practice our religion on Sunday mornings and live like the world the rest of the week. Give us the courage to stand against our culture and to let them know that there is truth There is hope, there is life, and it's found in Jesus Christ. God, as we leave today, help us to be the light to go out into the dark world and to point them to the only hope that they have. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.